0: Hi there. This is the Move On Past podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Smith. So glad to have you. This is episode number two. Special part of this episode is that it happens to be an interview. It's something different than me just reading research and talking about my thoughts and strategies and different things. And I hope you enjoy this. This podcast was done remotely, so you might notice a bit of sound distortions at times. But the beauty of this podcast is that it's delivered to you virtually unedited mostly because I'm still learning some of the nuances of editing. And what I, one of the things that I noticed is that as I've edited some of the previous podcasts, is that it might sound like, especially whenever I'm speaking, that it sounds like I might have edited myself. But really, I guess I just don't speak in paragraph form. I've known this about myself. Sometimes I just start on something and I just get bored with it and I don't even finish the sentence and I start on something else. So my apologies to those of you that are listening and you might think that I'm jumping around and think what a terrible edit that was, but really, sorry, that's just how I speak. So this particular podcast is geared towards those venturing into the world of being new parents, but I also, not only does Is that the topic that we talk about, but I think it can so be generalized into just relationships in general and our relationships with others, not just about that core relationship with the parent and the child, because I really do think that that is a relationship that really tests who you are, how you approach things, how it tests your patience, how it tests how you can regulate your emotions to ensure that the best interest of the person that receives the information is received in a loving and compassionate way. And I think that that is particularly important in all of our relationships. It's something to really check and recognize in ourselves. One thing to be aware of is that when you're struggling in that area to make sure that you take some time to restore and reflect and balance yourself. If anything, from this podcast and from this conversation that I happen to have. I hope it provokes you to talk with some of your loved ones and enhance some of the relationships that you're having in your life. So here is my conversation with Sharon Dakis. Today's session's a treat. I've had the privilege of working with this woman while I was working in the educational setting. She's a licensed specialist in school psychology, recently became the mother of twins. She and her husband live in the North Texas area, and I've always enjoyed the conversations I've had with her because they're usually insightful, thought-provoking, and pretty darn entertaining. Hey there, Sharon, thanks for joining me tonight.
1: Hi, Stephanie, how's it going?
0: Hey, pretty good. Did you get your two little yolks off to bed?
1: They are in bed, sleeping soundly, or so I hope. (laughs) The monitor is downstairs, far away
0: that's a good feeling. So I appreciate you dressing up for this audio podcast. Least I could do for you. I appreciate it. It's too bad there are friends and family that are listening right now are missing out seeing that on the podcast. Tell me about you.
1: So like you said, I am a relaxing specialist in school psychology. I'm actually certified in that. And that's kind of what I do on a daily basis for a living. Um, I work in a local school district, do some evaluation and counseling and just... Collaborating kind of mostly with adults to be honest, but on and about kids, um, which I have grown to love for sure. I also get to kind of incorporate being a behavior analyst, which is a niche that I found during grad school that's maybe one of my favorite parts of doing what I do on a daily basis. By night and kind of break time and lunch and what have you, I also do some online health and fitness coaching, which is a newer venture for me but it's something that's been really gratifying i have just an incredible team of women and some men that i get to work around and they're very very encouraging and i have enjoyed getting to share out with other people too so it's my family life like you said mama twins they're two and a half year old little girls they are hilarious and a mess every day and we love Pretty much, we love every second of it. Oh, we do, even the tough times. Um, but so I say, we—that's me and my husband. He's an Army so we kind of jump around a little bit. But we've been lucky to get to stay in Texas and close to people like you.
0: Let's get back to the to the little ones here. Uh, what's your philosophy on parenting toddlers?
1: Well, yeah, let's start with easy questions. Well, I think it's an important one, probably to. Set up this stage, not just for this podcast, for this discussion, whatever, but for parenting in general. Um, I think it's something that we have continued to evolve as parents, as our girls age and go through every little stage where they're changing. But there are certain things that kind of remain the same. Um, The biggest for us right now, and really throughout the whole big long time that we've been parents—two and a half years, you guys. Um, we love to engage with them we feel like that's really critical for us to show up in their world um, rather than forcing them to come into ours now there are times they're gonna have to come into ours and we're gonna teach them to adapt to that but really entering into where they are getting on eye level with them encouraging them with lots of just unconditional love and Reinforcement, that's one of my favorite words, uh, but encouraging the good things that they do rather than focusing on the bad, that's, that's a huge part of that for us. All of that is tied together, I think probably by a big package of faith. Um, our faith is really central to our family and it helps guide kind of the decisions we make as parents and as partners, uh, marriage partners as well. So it's pretty critical for us.
0: Has this changed pre and post parenting?
1: that's a good question so my my philosophy hasn't necessarily changed but it's become more real and much more fine-tuned so I went to school to learn about how kids develop and um, understand that and so I had kind of a little bit of background knowledge so I felt like I kind of understood research-wise right? like how to parent a kid but really doing it in the moment made us kind of test the things that work well and not for our particular kids and just learn how our values and core beliefs sort of work into that. So I knew what I believed. I knew I had a lot of good best practices in my toolbox, my husband too, I knew mean, my faith um, and what my hopes were for us. But when you become a parent, all of those things are definitely tested to the max because parenting is really hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: When you talk about parenting's hard, give me give me a little example.
1: Oh my! Well, we don't have to go too far back in my past to give you a great example. So, just tonight, for example, we had a fun night. My mom, their beloved uh, was over. My girls have been sick; they haven't gotten to see a lot of people, and so it was kind of a fun night for them. It's beautiful outside. We went to the park, but i just think probably on our end maybe we pushed it a little too far we got home a little bit later than we anticipated but i wanted them to have a snack uh, but, and they wanted one when well, we got back to the house before we got ready for bath and bed uh them sleep better okay let's be honest but i knew it needed to be a helpful snack so i pulled out uh this shake that we love and made them a cake out of it essentially so it's a really healthy kind of protein-based shake i that I can turn into a cake, and they love it, and they think it's the coolest thing ever. They call it their chocolate cupcake. Well, I i, I mean, they were so excited. My sh- straw-wheel child <laughs> threw the bowl on the ground because it didn't have the peanut butter in the right spot. <laughs> I mean, she was excited for, like, every component of it, but just the fact that it wasn't aligned how she anticipated that it would be, and we had really pushed them to the limit. This evening already, it just, I, my my bowl, which I shouldn't have given her in the first place, crashed all over the ground, broke into pieces, and we had a meltdown pretty much for the rest of the evening. So oh. I was definitely tested to my limits in terms of how I was going to address that. And, you know, whether I'm going to still let her have the cake uh, and what our next steps needed to be. It was hard, and I'm tired <laughs> as a result. But you know what? We made it. They're sleep. And tomorrow will
0: be in the two and a half. What's going on there? How do you address like those unwanted behaviors and, and really like reward the positives? So, this
1: discipline uh, <laughs> it pretty much goes hand in hand with parenting toddlers, right? So, oh, if you have toddlers, you have discipline, um, regardless. I think of how good of a parent you are, how many best practices you have in your toolbox. Uh, you, your kids are going to misbehave. It's just going to happen. But more and more what I'm seeing to kind of be true for us and all those lovely theories that they taught me that I learned back in school about how we develop and become well-adjusted individuals are really true. Good old Erickson and his stages of development, he had it right. So the way, the way I see that kind of in my own kids is that they have to exercise independence in order to learn and feel accomplished and build uh, confidence so it's going to look like pushing boundaries and being defiant and driving me crazy and throwing the bowl on the ground or whatever it is uh, but it's kind of up to me then as a parent how to respond to that situation so I can either choose to hand over all control to my child or to set up a safe place, kind of a a good, consistent, calm environment where they can have emotions and feel all of those things, but that I can teach them and yes, discipline them into how to handle those emotions in the right way. So I I feel like I have to approach it from, they're still learning and my consequences have to be a teaching tool for them, not just something that makes me feel better. (laughs)
0: If that makes sense that, I love how you said that like because um, I read something the other day I wish I could tell you where uh, but it was it was really good because it was a way of saying to think of emotions as like your internal teacher uh, so you don't really feel like a, a failure when there's like negative emotions present or like if you if you get upset or you get frustrated that it doesn't have to consume you or become part of you. So, like, whenever you talk about, like, regulating that and really recognizing that they need that freedom, you know, that really resonates with with that philosophy. So, I like that you pointed that out. Are there times, as a parent, you feel like you're failing?
1: (laughs) Yes. Probably every day, at some point, there's something that we feel like we're failing at. Um, But I think it comes back to... Nestling back in, back into kind of what our philosophy is, and using that as a litmus test to kind of decide if we really did make a decision as a parent, or really have a reaction to something that we aren't happy with, which happens, um, or if it's something that was part of our plan, that was part of our philosophy, and that was just a hard thing to do because it meant the meltdown lasted a little longer because she didn't stop crying and that meant timeout needed to continue or whatever it was so mm-hmm. going back to our philosophy and using that again as that foundation has really been kind of critical and allowing us to either address it as a failure or not and I'll just add that I think it's really important for us and we're learning I'm definitely learning <laughs> that when we do fail even though my kids are two and a half I can I can apologize so that I can tell them that I'm sorry. I can tell them that mommy should not have yelled or gone loud when she got mad about this and go back to, it's okay to feel mad, but maybe here's what I could say instead. And, you know, you can kind of adjust that for any level that your kid is at, but I think that being willing to show your kid your failures and how you deal with them is more important than than whether or not we fail, because like I said, we do it daily.
0: When you talk about your philosophy, what entered my mind is um, a time my husband and I we went to Mexico and we went on this pontoon boat and I get motion sickness. Ray. Yeah, I love it. Um, and they say like, look at a point, like a fixed point on the horizon. You know, when things start getting rocky, they really start getting shaky. You feel kind of sick about what's going on. But, but to really look at that constant point on the horizon so that that's kind of your philosophy that, that's your go-to touch point huh
1: kind of know your true north and you know maybe this is saying the same thing but I noticed even in exercise so I'll take it back to that for a second is you know I'm doing this program right now that's got a lot of yoga and balance and Pilates and that kind of thing in it something they say every time we're doing some of the more difficult moves is to find a focal point. So your body's having to adjust, you're having to kind of use muscles the way you're not used to, uh, but if you can keep your eyes fixed on that one, one, whatever it is, then it keeps you much more stable. I think it's kind of exactly what you said, but it just is a way that's resonating with me lately.
0: What about your balance? You know, how is that balancing yourself your marriage your parent role tell me about that
1: it's a really good question I think so what sticks out to me in that question is how do you balance having kids and at the same time and figuring out how to I don't know find kind of a new normal because you aren't just this married couple anymore uh, but you have more humans in your house (laughs) it's a whole huge new factor so it's definitely something that takes some thought I think and And that's maybe number one for us, is just to be very intentional about how we approach that. And let me begin that, by just saying, you know, I don't think we've always done that. Our whole first year, probably, of twinship was crazy and wild, and my husband had long hours, and I was adjusting to mine, and we were not great at being intentional about finding time for each other. I'm realizing now too you know it kind of looks different in every phase so the way we find time for each other from month one to month 12 it may look a lot different from how we can find time for each other now or whenever they're 18 years old and it's gonna kind of have to adapt over time so I think being intentional about how we plan for that being kind of creative and how we find our moments is really important so one thing that we do and we used to think was like a crusty old married couple kind of thing is to plan and schedule and like we made a silly kind of goal this year that we would go out of the house with a babysitter usually family um but not always at least two nights a month and then we'd have two in-house dates like a movie or whatever um also that month. So four dates at some point during the month, and then we get a lot of little other time otherwise. But we had to, like, sit down, talk about that, communicate what our needs were, and figure that out together. And find a new normal, because it didn't look that way before kids. We did a lot more. Then when you have your time, um, then really investing your attention and just everything you have into that time. So it may not seem very romantic and exciting to, like, plan out a date when it used to be sporadic that your husband would come and kind of say like let's go do something fun or go to a nice place for dinner and that was exciting well we don't really have that luxury anymore you know we have to plan around two people that need our attention and love and support so we have to be intentional about scheduling that but then when we're there since maybe the way that it comes about might not be romantic we can put that romanticism or whatever it is into the time that we have together and just use it really effectively. Not look at our phones mm-hmm. and not, I don't know, spend time talking about even our kids all the time, but really kind of dive back into things that made us tick as a couple to begin with.
0: Were there times like when y'all first started incorporating that, that you felt pull away or that, oh, I want to be home or what are the girls doing or, or was it like, oh, thank God we're free? <laughs>
1: I think there's, that's a mixed bag. So maybe ask me on any given night, and I'll give you a different answer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tonight, oh my goodness, we are free, (laughs) right? Because we broke a bowl tonight. But I don't know. I, I think early on, yeah, we did probably feel like a pull to be back at home because we love our kids. That's where we wanted to be. and. You know, part of adjusting as a couple with kids now was that we knew a lot of our time and attention had to go into them, and that the way it would look for us would be different, especially for those first 12 months or first two years, because babies and toddlers require a lot more attention than Mm -hmm. a 13-year-old might, and it'll continue. I hope that we'll need to adapt with that over time, Um, but yeah, for sure, there's, there's that pull.
0: What's some stress triggers for you?
1: Oh, what is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think it's a good question to ask because I don't always think we consider them until we're like past the trigger. You know, we're in the moment, we're in the meltdown or whatever it is. So having to really step back and think of it is handy. Um, <laughs> let's see. So, to be honest, the trigger in the moment kind of varies for me. and But I think it's the things, kind of an underlying state of things that make the trigger more powerful in, on one given day than it might be on any other day. So I keep going back to my bowl, little ceramic bowl tonight. But mm-hmm. tonight I was able to pick my kid up quietly, take her to timeout, not make eye contact with her. She knows the timeout rules. And just kind of let that play out. Um, I took some deep breaths but like I know that kind of my underlying state my needs are being met those triggers just have not surfaced yet but any maybe some other night where I don't have enough sleep or my house is a mess or I haven't eaten in like three hours or something or I'm not on good terms with my husband that day or whatever it is then that's probably those are the things that are triggers for me and that are likely to kind of lead me to go over the edge on something. You said you
0: don't give eye contact. What's the importance of that?
1: You know, for this one twin in particular, she tends to be, I, I really love the fact that she's high maintenance in a lot of ways, but um, I think that gets a bad connotation sometimes, but it makes her spirited for sure. So she tends to be our higher maintenance twin. She definitely is the kind that like is can turn off her tears in a second and she's good at crying just kind of for your attention and to get you to feel so badly for her. So, <laughs> And I think any parent that loves their kid is going to feel that like, oh, like, My kid is distraught. I just want to hug them and help them and tell them it's going to be okay and try to load them with words to fix the problem. And I've learned kind of outside of dealing with her but then even with dealing with my own kids that when I remove that kind of reward for all of this big drama that the drama goes down much faster. Um that takes some <laughs> consistency. It doesn't happen every time. But stay consistent with that. My husband too, he's even better at it than I am. Then we can we see better, I guess, resolution, quicker resolution of the problem. Mm-hmm. She's not getting not getting all that input from us. It just makes it continue. It's a hot mess.
0: Like a little two foot hot mess.
1: I think that's a big part of it. Like over time, we've had to teach what timeout is and what the expectations are for timeout. Like they know it's a certain corner in their room that they have to be on their bottom and to exit out of timeout, they can either surpass the time limit, which I can't totally understand yet, um, or they have to stop crying. They're not going to get out of timeout out if they're still throwing a walleye fit. <laughs> they have <been. laughs> uh, And they've learned that. But without those expectations, the lack of eye contact, that, that would all seem a little bit weird. I don't think they would know what to do, but since I know they know what to do, then I feel more confident that I can give them one quick reminder, say the expectation, and just let them kind of play it out.
0: <laughs> do you show them a visual timer? I've
1: done it before, but you know... What I've noticed with them, probably because I use my phone, it's just been a distraction. I think maybe if I had a, like, what are those timepiece timer things, or sand timers, that Mm -hmm, kind of thing, mm -hmm. it might be something that would work. I fear anything is a little bit stimulating and exciting to them, so... (laughs)
0: Yeah. So So we focus
1: on a quiet body, a quiet mouth, or a still body and a quiet mouth, and then they can um, exit, and they have to come stand in front of me or my husband. They don't get to touch up us yet, and we have a a short little conversation. They practice the thing that they did wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we love on them and give them hugs and tell them, you know, that we appreciate them, kind of whatever it was, like getting through that issue. Yeah.
0: I like, I kind of, well, once you started talking through it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see the neat, like, you can see that maybe the timer might take away from, like, self-regulating a little bit because you're like, oh, yeah, quiet quiet body, you know.
1: And I've had to, you know, on that note, it's really been helpful lately to teach them just some techniques I've picked up from, like, pre-K classrooms. So Mm -hmm. they'll teach them to up their chest like it's a balloon and then blow it out or they really my girls really like where they blow out a birthday candle so uh once they've kind of started to calm down I might give them a really brief prompt that's like or even just a model where I start to breathe in really deeply and then I blow out the birthday candle and I may mention that and that seems to help quite a bit too so I'm trying to teach them how to I guess use some of those tools on their own. Hopefully over time they'll pick it up and just build it into their own behavior. But right now I feel like it's still my role to kind of build some of that in for them.
0: After situations like the, uh, throwing, the throwing the cupcake thing, <laughs> how do you regulate? What? Do, how do you settle yourself?
1: I think it depends on the situation. It probably depends on my sort of underlying levels. So you asked me about those triggers mm-hmm. uh, whenever I haven't had enough sleep and I haven't uh, done whatever else I needed to do to make sure I can respond to that situation instead of react. Uh, sometimes I've responded incorrectly. I've responded in frustration. And usually it, that's when it's just nice to be able to kind of bounce off to a spouse. I don't always get that luxury. He's not, not always here with the military, but when he is, I can say, okay, okay. <laughs> your turn, take over, and he's able to stand in and have kind of that calm demeanor and follow through with the procedure that we have for our house. Uh otherwise I gotta just get it in check. Like I gotta go back to that that true north, the horizon or the balance point or whatever it is and remember why we're doing what we're doing, which makes my calm demeanor much more valuable in that moment because in the moment it doesn't feel very valuable <laughs> to be calm uh, but when i can kind of trigger myself back to why we're doing what we're doing then that's when it has value and it's something that i can stick to do with much more consistency that happen every time that we try hard
0: what's on your to-do list
1: i would say important things that are really gonna change I don't know or direct a good course for a relationship with you and your kids or that I know to do for us turn off the stinking TV do turn off that TV and get on the floor and play with kids get eye level with your kids I know that when I pick up my phone and I've been on it a little too long or we're watching a football game because that's kind of the time when our TV ends up on in our house sorry cowboys like I said Um, then that's when our kids start to kind of rile up and I see more behavior and them kind of acting out essentially to get our attention back. So yes, back to that. Turn off the stinky TV, get eye level with your kids and just play, have fun. Enter into their world because I think that's how they learn. I would say one thing I'm really learning is have good, solid, high standards for your kids uh, because they can do way more than, than we give them credit for. They blow my mind every day with the things they, like the sentences they put together or <laughs> the things that they're able to do. Like they both dressed themselves this morning. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure that that's happened yet, to be honest. They've both done that on the same day. Wow. And that kind of blew my mind. So, And sometimes I just make it easy and, dress the high maintenance one or what have you and so keeping the expectations high uh, um, not too difficult but high with some support I think that's really important I think I've already said this but I think we have to say we're sorry Uh, we mess up it's a human thing to do and kids really benefit from that model we shouldn't be having to say we're sorry too much because there's another inherent problem there but but we definitely need to Learn to be able to say that, model it, and then show the corrected behavior. And then that kind of goes along with asking for help when you need it. Talk to somebody and go find help in whatever area you need or go Google it or figure it out because we don't have all the answers and we're not going to. Um, and our kids keep changing. So we definitely need, yeah, to just be willing to kind of look outside of ourselves for that.
0: That's one of the ones that I, that I, talk about a lot in session is to put down you, you know we've become so glued to social media to anything external other than what's happening right there and in that moment you know so to whenever you say enter their world I really I like that phrase what's on your parent uh not to do list uh,
1: not to do Definitely don't talk about your kids in front of your kids when it's like she can do that than her or negative things kind of. If it's not something really positive or something you intentionally want them to hear because it's gonna sort of build some capacity and teach them, not teach them a lesson because it'd be bad, but you know, really teach them, then I think I have seen, I've made this mistake that they know and understand more than you realize even if they can't talk yet so just being really guarded about how we use our words in front of our kids is pretty critical um I think that goes hand in hand with not arguing in front of your kids it's so stinking hard and you're talking yeah. like a stubborn type a redhead over here so it's something that I have to hard to keep in check and that even, you know, as important as it feels that whatever I did to my husband or whatever he did to me really ticked us off in the moment, we have to just agree to defer it to a later time. It's really hard to do. Um, but I also think that if we just show that kind of difficulty in front of them, then it's really, it's really setting kind of the wrong standard. It's not to just say we can't have a discussion or disagree about something, and show them how to walk through that appropriately. But like the nitpicky, nasty, arguing things that just you know are better left undone anyway, that definitely needs to happen elsewhere and be settled alone.
0: What What do you do to restores you, builds you back up?
1: Mm, well, I think there are a couple things. Um, a knee jerk reaction that I'm trying to make more knee jerk is just doesn't have to be monumental. doesn't have to be beautiful. But, like, a very simple prayer It's like, get me, get my mood, my attitude in check, you know, please. Because I clearly don't have the power to do that right now. And I can move on. It doesn't have to be, like, five hours in my closet with my face down <laughs> to figure that out. But that's probably step one. And then I can start to tackle things. So if I can make it manageable, like, put things in a list identify kind of prioritize a little bit and then ask for help to Mm -hmm. be able to tackle them um, and in the process kind of communicate where I am like hey I'm feeling pretty overloaded right now I don't need help with a lot but maybe just a couple of things And, and as that list starts to get accomplished then then I feel like I can start to invest back in myself again like I should be and and get that restoration for sure.
0: So that doesn't sound like this this big, when Saturday rolls around, I'm doing this for me. It's more of a in-the-moment, right-there time that you take to restore yourself. When you you say the prayer that you kind of mentally regroup, that you catch yourself then.
1: It doesn't necessarily have to be scripture, but something for me that works is to have a few scriptures that either are on my phone or that I've memorized or did at some point that I know I can quickly reference and just be encouraged by that. And it kind of puts me in my place because that's really what needs to happen when I'm feeling drained. Like if I'm feeling drained because I'm not feeling appreciated, I probably need to check myself and think, I don't need to be doing this for praise. I need to be doing this because I unconditionally love my people. So it kind of puts me in the right frame of mind for sure. And it, like you said, it does not have to be complex or at a certain place. Yeah. Um, But find kind of your own system that boots you back up.
0: What do you really want your children to remember about their childhood?
1: Yeah, that's the question, huh? Mm -hmm. It's a good one. (laughs) A lot of good questions there. Let's Mm -hmm. see. I would want them to have warm, happy feelings about it. So I'd almost want them to feel like this sort of visceral reaction to how they feel about their childhood, something that's really tangible, that starts to sort of fill up their spirit and their belly and their heart and all that. But I guess to be practical about that, I'd want them to remember home. Um, And for us, you know, that's not necessarily a place, but that's family and that's being well loved and that's being having their parents at eye level um i want them to remember having some structure and consequences for sure i think that's important Uh, but appreciating that down the road they may not appreciate it now but i want them Mm -hmm. to kind of look back on that fondly which would have meant i did it in the right way i want them to remember that Like I said, we were down on the floor. We were into their world and not hovering over them or off doing our own things or remember that their parents were looking at their phone all the time. (laughs) Um, And, and yeah, if they feel kind of any bit of that, when they're older, then I will feel like I've achieved something as a parent to get all those things and hope that they feel nurtured enough that – how they look back on their childhood.
0: What do you want your children to remember about you?
1: Hmm. So me specifically. Mm -hmm. I would love for them to remember me really like okay so like I remember my mom (laughs) and how she raised me. So I always saw her as first and foremost a picture of faith but of really hard work and not like touting that hard work and making it really obvious she was doing it but I look back now, didn't realize it at the time. She's like the most disciplined person that I know. And it wasn't annoying to other people or obnoxious, but it just really enabled her to accomplish things, be successful at things, but also to be who she wanted to be. So hard work, consistency, solid morals and expectations. And she was just fun. I say was, all of these things are still true. For us, I go back to, I said I would want them to remember those consequences and limits. I feel like I can look back on my mom and remember those things. Um, she was able to kind of set limits for us and know when it was appropriate to do that or when we really just needed a little bit of mom love and service and she just had a great intuition for that. So I hope my kids can generally feel the same way about me when I'm they're much older. So she had that kind of incredible servant heart when we needed it the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that I can look back on and really appreciate. I think, I I don't know, my mom to me is like, I feel very blessed that she's been such a good example of how to be a mom, a committed wife. I hope that my kids look back and see that in me as well. And then eventually maybe I'll be a great grandparent. So I see all those things in her and hope maybe they'll be able to see that in me. Some of it, maybe some different things one day too.
0: It's a great carry forward. Well, Dakis, I appreciate you. Thank you doing this and taking part in this and sharing your story and your insights with everyone, with our friends and family that are listening.
1: Yeah, it's been my pleasure.